All right, so we're in Galatians chapter 1. Uh, previously, before Paul was teaching Wednesday nights, I was doing Psalms, so I kind of wanted to keep that a Wednesday night thing, and so I didn't want to just go back and pick up where we left off there. Uh, I was going to do something Old Testament, uh, but Doyle has been doing discussions about David and such things as that. I know Brother Chris is going to be talking about Acts here in the future, and so I thought we'll talk about the book of Galatians, which I don't think I've talked about this in actual Bible class yet here. I think others have. We've had uh, sermons from it, but we've never actually gone through it, uh, I don't believe, yet in the Bible class. And so Galatians is where we're going to begin this morning. The writer, as you have there on your handout, is the Apostle Paul. Galatians 1, verses 1 and 2 bears out this is the writing of Paul. And he has here, I have here listed three reasons for the writing or three defenses uh, that he is giving throughout the book of Galatians. Uh, the first is the defense of his apostleship. There were those who did not believe that Paul was an apostle. You know, we, we think about, I was thinking about this just yesterday, actually, how sometimes if people have certain views about us, we kind of just stay away from them, right? Apostle Paul did not do that with Galatians. Uh, you know, there were those who didn't believe he was an apostle, and he just went there and wrote, well, he wrote this letter, rather, and he addressed it head on, really. Uh, and no doubt, uh, very brave, but needed to be done. And so there were those who did not believe he was an apostle, but he he does discuss it here in, in the book of Galatians. The second, you have here a defense of Christianity and its separation from Judaism. Uh, really, if you want to paraphrase that, you'd say it's talking. We're talking more about living under the New Testament law and getting away from the law of Moses. There are those who are saying that if you were not on the law of Moses, you would not uh, be saved. And Paul would uh, would teach right against that, teaching how we are no doubt under the New Testament law today. And he wrote to defend the liberty that we have in the Lord. But also he defends or cautions whether that liberty does not mean a license to be involved in the works of the flesh or to be involved in sin. And so there is freedom in Christ. When we talk about freedom in Christ, though, there are those who go way too far. And you start hearing things, well, you know, we have liberty to do this. We have freedom to do this. And then they'll start talking about grace and misunderstanding it, misapplying it. And it kind of goes from there. So we'll talk about that as well. The date I have listed here is, is between 55 and 58 uh, A.D. Paul mentions the Jerusalem Conference in chapter 2, and this is believed to have taken place in A.D. 50, so the date most common is between 55 or between A.D. 55 and 58. And then we have an outline. There's a whole lot of outlines for Galatians. A lot of times the wording is just different, but it, the idea is the same. Uh, and so I just went with this very bare-bone outline for you to have here. We'll have some other headings as well as we go through this, no doubt. But chapters 1 and 2, Paul's defense of his apostleship. Paul's defense of his apostleship. Chapters 3 and 4, like we mentioned a moment ago, Paul's defense of justica justification by faith, not faith only, by faith and not the law of Moses. Whenever we talk about justification by faith, and it's whenever Paul or others here in the New Testament many times put a lot of emphasis on faith, people today fail to sometimes fail to realize that he's not talking about faith only. 
Because we read about faith, it's by faith, by faith, by faith, and then we hear people say, well, it's by faith only. Paul never said by faith only, not one single time. Uh, neither did Peter, neither did Christ. But when a book emphasizes something so much, others will take that and say, well, see, it doesn't say anything about this over here. But we also know when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about faith only. That's one of the reasons why some people today don't like the book of James, because it condemns faith only. It talks about being a worker basically for the Lord. And, and so whenever we have a section dealing with faith or grace so strongly, people sometimes forget that there's more to it than just that. Um, chapters 5 and 6, Paul's defense of Christian liberty and exhortations or encouragement to continue loyalty to the faith. And so talking about Christian liberty, but also being loyal to the faith, being loyal to the truth, not using liberty as a way to live however you would like. And then you have there below that a brief uh, schedule. Basically, we're going to look at a chapter each week, Lord willing. Uh, we'll look at Galatians uh, chapters 1 through 6. Between now and May 8th, and you flip it over in the back, you'll see it's basically the same thing with Ephesians, giving, uh, of course, space for VBS that week. And so it works out about a chapter a week. The area of Galatia is in the northern part of Turkey, formerly Asia Minor. Now, much of this we're talking about now is not on your outline, uh, or on your intro there. Um, different individuals throughout history have talked about the people of Galatia. Julius Caesar wrote the infirmity of, of the Gauls, is that they are fickle in their resolves, fond of change, and not to be trusted. <laughs> and so historians have a lot to say about these individuals, which really is kind of... <clears throat> reason I think why we see Paul says what he does later in chapter one about those who had left so soon from the faith. Uh, and there are others who make comments about it, about them, but they're basically reiterate the same idea that they uh, were, were those who were kind of tossed about many times with various ideas. Uh, unlike other letters of Paul, these were, there were evidently several churches he would read this letter, as we see in verse two, he mentions there the churches of Galatia. Understanding that there are more than one group of believers meeting together to worship God. Churches is not a reference to buildings. It's a reference to a gathering of the saints. Thus, the church is gathered there. So the churches of Galatia are mentioned there uh, in verse 2. And so there are, there's a lot of important things that are said in Galatians. I was trying to think about some key verses and things. But I always, always go back to chapter 1, which really a key section when Paul talks about how he marvels that they were departing so soon from the faith. And so to me, that's a very key section because them trying to go back to the old law is a parting of the faith. Uh, them trying to, do, to use liberty as a cloak to do whatever they want, that's a parting from the faith. And so to me, Galatians 1, that section we'll talk about here in a moment, Dealing with those who were departing from the faith so soon, uh, to me, is probably the key section that really kind of is a theme for the book because he's correcting things. And one of the things he first addresses here, as we'll see in chapter one, are those who do not believe that Paul is an apostle of Christ. Now, what makes Paul unique, as he'll mention here in verse one, is that he was not made, he was made an apostle by Christ literally as he met him. On the road, he was going to be a chosen vessel of God. We know that Ananias would go and speak to him. 
burst out of as much fear. Uh, but he would he would become an apostle of Christ. So let's go and begin looking at chapter one of Galatians. Galatians chapter one. Verse one says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, an apostle is the, really the basic definition of apostle is one sent. Paul was definitely one sent. Now, there are those today who claim to be an apostle, but they're not apostles because they weren't actually sent by God. All Christians are sent out to, to, to reach out to lost around us, but we're not apostles. Apostles also had certain requirements uh, as well, having been with, with Christ at certain, you know, at certain points, witnessing certain things. And so for us today, that wouldn't be possible. And, and Paul here, though, he mentions how he was made an apostle. He says, not uh, through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, he raised him from the dead. Now, his opponents questioned his qualifications and his right to be an apostle. Uh, it's also noteworthy to, to point out here that due to the content of this letter, he describes himself as an apostle, but not only claims to be an apostle, apostle, but also tells how he became one. You know, the other apostles, to my knowledge, never mentioned how they became one. Only the apostle Paul, because he was the one who was called into question. And it's more likely because, as we'll see as we go through this, because of his past. His past is what casts doubt upon him being an apostle. And we'll get to more of that here in just a moment. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. <clears throat> His ultimate source of being an apostle was by or through Jesus and God the Father. His ultimate authority came directly from Jesus, Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. And so it was from Christ who he received his apostleship, not from man, which is a, a very good way to say that I don't have to receive anything from man. I received it from God, right? And people will say that today, but the apostle Paul could back it up because he would also be able to have, to be able to confirm his message from God. Do you remember how they confirmed their message, message was from God? By the accompanying signs, right? And so he would be able to do that, unlike those today who claim to be an apostle of, of Christ or something of that nature. Now, verse 2, he says here, And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. All the brethren who are with me. I think there's a couple different ways you can look at this and not be incorrect. But when you hear the phrase, to all and all the brethren who are with me. What do you think? What do you think of when you hear that phrase? If someone says, Well, yeah, you know, here's think about this, and all and by the way, we greet you and all those who are with me. What do you think that means? Were there those who believed Paul to be an apostle of Christ? Yes. Were those were there those who were who were members of the church who had Fellowship with Paul. Yes. And so it could be a reference to those who were literally with him, perhaps traveling with him. It could be a reference to, I think more likely, those who had fellowship with him and accepted him as an apostle of Christ, treating him like a brother in Christ. 
and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Again, writing to the more than one church that he mentions there as being in Galatia. Now, verse 3 says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is basically just the usual greeting that the Apostle Paul gives. He gives this greeting or one very similar to it. In all of his letters, to my knowledge, you have something of this nature where he's greeting them. And he says here, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Is there a better source to find grace and peace from? No. And so when he says this, he said that he truly wants them to find grace from God. And he also says, in peace from God. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we write letters or things or emails or it may be, depending on its nature, when we write one that's work-related, I doubt we say, I hope everything, you know, I doubt we say peace to you. But we'll say something to the nature, to the, to the degree of, I hope I'm writing right this. I hope you're doing well. I hope this letter finds you doing well, and that you're in good health, and that you're prospering, and, and, and those types of things. And that's basically what Paul is saying here. He, he's hoping that they are doing well. But he says here, doing not just well physically, but spiritually. Peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he mentions here in verse 4, which he says these things as part of his greeting. But the power behind them is pretty incredible. Who gave himself for our sins. I think this really is a reminder of what he's going to say here uh, next in verse 5. Uh, and verse, uh, verse 6, rather. But he says, he greets him in verse 3, verse 4. He says, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from, the present, from this present evil age, according to the will of, 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 God, of our God and Father, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's an interesting thing to put in the greeting, unless you're about to follow it something else. Because he says in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins, he's, he's reminding them of things that they should already know. Right? If someone who is, it has left the faith has gone off and started worshiping God and, and doing things that are contrary to the truth, and you were to write them a letter and say, you know, I hope this letter finds you well, that you have finding the peace from God, and then you say something who, who gave him, who, and who gave his son on the cross for our sins, and you start saying things like the Apostle Paul here does, what are you doing? You're warming up to tell them they need to get right. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, you remember, you know, the, you know, the one who died on the cross for you, the one who shed his blood for you, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from, the, from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so it's really a kind of a precursor to you need to stop doing what you're doing, as we see in verse 6. Who gave himself for our sins? Jesus Christ, as he mentions there in verse 3. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins? Why? That he might deliver us from this present evil age. According to, and for what purpose? Because it was the will of God. Now, I think Chuck would agree that's a three-point sermon, isn't it? Who 
what and why. Who did it? Christ. Why? Because he wants to deliver us from this present evil age. Why? Because it's the will of God that no one would perish, right? We can add that because that's, that's also correct. Look at verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Now, verse 6, think about this for a second. What does it mean to marvel at something? What does it mean to marvel at something? You ever walked out here in the evening when the sun is setting? I know I'm not the only one. I know my wife has because we have about a thousand pictures of sunsets. But we marvel at what? The sunset. And why do we do it? Because it's not only beautiful, but because it's incredible, right? It's something that takes your breath away sometimes. But here in verse 6, he's marveling for an entirely different reason. What is incredible to him, what is taking his breath away, so to speak, is what? What's the next phrase there? I marvel that you are turning away. It takes his breath away that they're departing from the truth. He says, basically, he said, turning away so soon. It's like they heard the gospel, they obeyed it, and all of a sudden you turn around and you look and say, wait, what are you doing? It's so quickly. So soon. I marvel that you are turning away. Turning away indicates what? Yet, if you're turning away, you're not going towards something. You're going away from something. And so the departing. I believe some, some translations may even say a uh, phrase of their departing. Uh, I think the King James says that you are so soon removed. Maybe that's American standard. Um, so soon from him who called you. Now notice, before he even talks about the gospel or he mentions the gospel, he says they're first turning away from who? Him, which is Christ. He doesn't just say you're turning away from the gospel. He says you're turning away from him who you just mentioned back in verse 4, right? Paul is saying, you know, the one who gave himself for your sins, the one who tried, who wants to deliver you from this present evil age, according to the will of God, it's him you're turning away from. And so when you think about what Paul says in verse 6, he really comes out swinging. I'm amazed. It takes some breath away. You're turning away so soon from Christ. From him he called you in the grace of Christ. Uh, from him here, God, God here, he called you in the, from the called you in the grace of Christ, rather, to a different gospel. Now, they're turning away from God, who called them in the grace of Christ, and they're turning to a different gospel. But as we see in verse 7, he says, which is not another, which tells us that different gospel does not exist. <laughs> There's not another gospel. There's, sometimes we might say, we hear rumors of a different gospel. But it's really just, it's not a different gospel. It is actually just the teachings of man, isn't it? He says, and to a different gospel. So they're turning away quickly from God who called them in grace, in the grace of Christ, to a different gospel. 
Now, how are men called, though, by God? He called you, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13 and 14, we are called by the gospel. Literally by the teachings. We're going to say something to it. Uh, you know, I, marvel. Probably say, I can't believe that they're believing those Judaizers yeah. and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's no doubt how Paul was feeling. I mean, he he reminds them of who 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 it is and uh, who he is, and he tells them, by the way, this is who you're turning away from. And he said, and he says, they're from a from the from from him. He called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. <laughs> he called you, called by what? Called by the gospel, literally called by the teachings of God to what? To abandon this evil present evil age back in verse 4 and to obey the gospel so we can be delivered from that present evil age from this present evil age he says in verse 7 which is not another so it's not a different gospel or this different gospel is not another gospel he says but there are some who trouble you and want to to pervert the gospel of Christ and so there, those there who wanted to pervert this gospel, that is to change, distort, falsify. Some say just means, some say it could mean literally just to lie or to twist. When we say something is perverted, it's not said in a positive sense. Is it? We're talking about a movie, a TV show, a magazine, individual. We, we don't say it saying, oh, they're perverted. Huh? No, it's not a good thing. And so this perverted gospel is something that is not right. Something that is lewd even, right? If someone is a pervert, we probably say we probably could say pretty clearly, yeah, they're they're perverted. They're pretty lewd. They're pretty disgusting. Well that's how the gospel is being treated by them. They're they're perverting it, turning it into something that's lewd, that is that is Disgusting. So therefore, it's not a different gospel. It's not this different gospel is not another gospel. But notice here in verse seven, he gives the reasons why these things are happening. He says there are some. There are some. I notice some means not all, right? Some is not everyone. But there are some who. And I notice what does he say? Who trouble you? See the gospel message. The truth, the truth of God's word, the true gospel message only troubles those who don't want to hear. But a different gospel, this perverted gospel, troubles everyone. It troubles everyone. When people today are say they are troubled by the truth, or the truth is is it's very strong to them, and it's hard for them to want to do what is what is right, that doesn't make the gospel wrong. But we find here the gospel, they're doing this different gospel, he said, which is not another. It troubles everyone, even those who are proclaiming it, as Peter says, right? Luke 2 Peter, he talks about how those false teachers there, it's only their message that's leading people away, and those who are listening to it are going to be condemned, but also those who are speaking it are also going to be condemned. And so literally a different gospel affects everyone and condemns everyone, those who follow it. So this different gospel, he says, which is not another, there are some who trouble you and want to pervert, that is again, to twist, to make it lewd, the gospel of Christ. It wasn't just anything 
they were trying to twist. They weren't trying to twist the words of some journalist or some lawmaker, uh, some earthly lawmaker. They were trying to twist the words of the heavenly lawmaker of God, right? They were perverting the gospel of Christ. And what happens, think about this for a second. If it's not the true gospel, and the Apostle Paul says this different gospel is not another gospel, so therefore it's not the true gospel. If someone obeys a false gospel, are they going to be saved? If it's he, another gospel, it's not the gospel of Christ. Right. So if they obey a false gospel, they haven't obeyed anything, right? And a false gospel is just or is basically teachings that are in contradiction to God's word. Many times they're derived directly from the minds of men. And so when you obey it, and you obey it according to manly to man standards, right? Saying a prayer, kneeling a couple times, whatever it may be. And then, and according to man's standards, you're now, quote-unquote, saved. But according to the Bible, according to the word of the Apostle Paul, this different gospel is a perverted gospel. It's not a different gospel. It's just, it's just a, the a perversion of the truth. It does not save. Now, so this, this different gospel they're proclaiming, which is not the gospel of Christ, which has been perverted, Look what, look what he says in verse 8. But even if we, being the apostles, we can say it's a reference to all Christians, but I think in really in context, he's talking about we, the apostles. Even if we, or an angel from heaven. Now, we've talked about this before. What does the word angel mean? Messenger, Messenger right? So a heavenly messenger. You know, when we talk about angels and things, and we say, you know, so-and-so is such an angel, we, we say that in gist, right? You know, we say they're good, we mean they're a good person, they're very kind, things like that. But an angel literally just means a messenger. And so what Paul is saying here, even if the messenger comes from heaven, if they say anything that's different than what we're teaching here, it's not true. Because first of all, if the messenger comes from heaven and speaks a different message, it's not, that messenger really isn't from heaven, is it? But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, now he's not saying there are other gospels, but these are really in context the so-called gospels, right? Preach any other gospel or any other teaching to you, then what we have preached to you, I mean, what, we, what you have heard from us, the apostles, let him be accursed. Now, that's not a positive thing, right? And when we tell people, have a nice day, we don't say, be accursed. No, that's kind of crazy. But this is a condemnation. If they say anything to you that is contradictory to the gospel, let them be accursed. Let God basically pour out his wrath upon them. And on the day of judgment, he will. And then in verse 9, he repeats it in, for emphasis. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have, heard, have, have, what, than what you have received, let him be accursed. 
So first is what we have preached in verse nine. Now, verse eight. Now, in verse nine is what you have received. But the answer is still the same. If it's different, let them be accursed. If they, if it's different, he tells let them be accursed. You think we should listen to those things? If it's the accursed doctrine or accursed gospel, is what Paul really is calling it, should we listen to those things that have been perverted? No. Because if we listen to those things and listen to them long enough, we start getting ideas that are in contradiction to God's word. You think about what the Apostle Paul says here. You know, he starts this this letter by telling them, I'm an apostle by Christ, not by man. Then he greets them, reminds them what Christ has done on the cross. And then he basically tears into them, telling them, don't be listening to other Gospels. You know, think about those who, who denied that Paul was an apostle of Christ. Was Paul's message any different than all the other apostles? It was exactly the same. He taught the same things that all the other apostles taught as well. And they taught the same things as, uh, as he did as well. As we talk, as we'll read a little bit later, he'll talk about his quote-unquote apostleship that he was called to and where he went right after his conversion and how for a long time he didn't even go to see any of the other apostles until after he had actually got, traveled to several different places doing some preaching before he ever went and talked to anyone else. But we'll get to that in a second. So any other gospel... It comes, if it comes, if it's, if it's a different gospel coming from anyone else, let them be accursed. God will take care of them. We should not be allowing ourselves to be influenced by this other doctrine. As we see back in verse 7, what will it do? It will trouble you because it's a perversion of the truth. It's a perversion of the gospel of Christ. <coughs> hey, let's look at verse verse 10. Here the Apostle Paul says, for Do I now persuade men or God? Now, think about this for a second. They didn't believe it is an apostleship. Do you think if you want to get on someone's good side, don't you come out patting them on the back first? Don't you tell them how much you love them, how good they're doing? The Apostle doesn't do that. He doesn't. And in verse 10, he basically says, I'm not here to, to, make, to be friends. I'm not here to persuade you to, to like me. His only approval that he wants is God. Look at verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. That's pretty clear, isn't it? If I still, basically saying, if I was still, if I was still doing the things I used to do, you could not be a bondservant of Christ. You could not be a follower of Christ. And he says, look at verse 10 again, do I seek to please men? By your words, Paul, no, you do not. He doesn't really come out making a lot of friends, does he? He says, I'm just taken taken aback by you departing from the gospel so soon. So he's not there to please them. He's not there to persuade them to be his buddy. He's there to caution them, right? For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Look at verse 11 now. 
But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. What does that mean? Not according to man. I mean, he didn't get it from men, right? Where was this perverted gospel coming from that's troubling them? Where did that gospel come from? It came from men, right? So he's saying, unlike you, I didn't get my teachings from you, from other men. For neither, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught, taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning it was revealed to him by Christ. He, didn't, he wasn't taught by anyone. Now, the, the, the Apostle Paul, was he aware, at least to some degree, of some of the teachings of, of these men before he became an apostle? I don't think there's any doubt. But it was revealed to him to this degree he's currently at by Christ. So he doesn't come to please men, verse 10. He doesn't come with a message of men that comes from men. He came with a message that came from God, revealed to him by Christ. Verse 13, he says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. Well, there is no doubt that is 100% accurate, right? Yeah, he was a big thorn in the flesh. Which, interesting enough, that's what he would complain about for a little while, as well as his own thorn in the flesh. But he was the thorn in the flesh for the church for a long time. He says in verse 13, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. Basically, he's saying, you know what I used to do. He used to drag people off to prison. He would stand by while men were being stoned, like Stephen. He was a guy who didn't mess with. That's why Ananias, when he was called by God to be able to speak to him, Ananias said, no, wait a second. <laughs> uh, you know who this is. And, so, and Paul here now, after his conversion, saying, you know what I used to do. You're aware of my former conduct in Judaism. And that conduct in Judaism shows how he's referring to, as we'll see in a moment, how, how devout he was to it and how he loved the laws of Judaism so much, he persecuted the church. He says here and tried to destroy it there in verse 13. He says, uh, persecuted the church of God beyond measure. It means it's almost incalculable to, to talk about how much he did and how much damage he did to people because he is directly responsible, I think, no doubt, for not only for imprisonment, but for death of a lot of people. Verse 14 says, and I, and I advance in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nations. Now, he advanced in Judaism, meaning he was very knowledgeable of the laws of the Jews. Judaism here could be a reference to those things that were actually teaching, but we also see it in verse 14. It was also zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You notice how he, he mentions how he has advanced in Judaism and how he was zealous for the traditions. What does that mean? One was actually teachings of the Jews and one was merely traditions that were passed down. Things that the men over the, over the years had added in that became in their mind just as important, right? You think about that today, there's a lot of that today, sometimes even in the church as well. Things we've done for so long, we said, well, if we're going to do this right, we got to do it this way. 
when there's nothing biblical that actually backs that up. But he says here in verse 14 that he not only advanced in Judaism more beyond many of his contemporaries there in verse 14, he says in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I mean, he did everything. He, went, he followed the teachings and he pursued those traditions that were passed down to the highest degree. He was, as I've heard people say before, he was their shining star. Because what more could you ask for a man to go out and literally pursue these people who believe in Christ and make sure he got them in prison? Well, hey, he's their best man. Or he was. Look at verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, I love how he, he mentions so many times, kind of throws in here, by the way, this is who I'm talking about. God who brought me into this world, who, as we heard people say before, you know, I brought you in this world, I can take you out. God literally good, right? Verse 15, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles that did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Verse 15 and 16, <clears throat> God was the one who brought Paul into this world and gave him life. He was called by, uh, called, he says in verse 15, through his grace. Grace here is what? Well, that by his grace, Paul was taught the gospel, who Christ really is. Verse 16, to reveal his son to me. This may refer to what began uh, to happen to Paul with the experience on the road to Damascus. He understood who Jesus was on the road, but his obedience didn't happen until he was baptized, right? That's when he actually obeyed. Knowing and obeying are not the same things. He understood who Christ was because he asked, you know, you know who I am? He says, yeah, it's hard to kick against the golds, right? That's what Christ tells him, right? You know who I am. But his obedience happened after Ananias came and told him what he must do. Verse 16. That I might preach him, that is Christ, that his son, there, verse 16, among the Gentiles. Uh, some, some translations trans, uh, translate this as heathen. Uh, it's, and this is just the non-Jews, right? I did not confer with, confer with flesh. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. I Meaning he didn't immediately go and talk to other people, to other apostles specifically, after his conversion that happened a little while later. So he was he, he met Christ on the road to Damascus. He was converted after Ananias came and told him what he must do. And then he began to preach and teach the gospel. And after a while, as we see it here in verse uh, 17 and following, he would go to, uh, to, to uh, Peter. He says in verse 17, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Why would you not immediately go to the apostles? Because not everybody of the apostles accepted him as an apostle of Christ yet. Remember, they had to have some time for them to understand who Paul was. Because until he, was, until, uh, he showed himself, at least to them, to be a different person, thus he changes from Saul to Paul, it would be hard for, for them to sit and listen to a man who killed quite possibly your friend. Remember Stephen, right? He was there when he, he was stoned. You imagine sitting there listening to a man saying, I'm an apostle. You killed someone who was very close to you, who you cared much about. It'd be hard to do. Verse 18. Then after three years, 
He says, after three years, I went up to, to, to Jerusalem to see Peter and remain with him 15 days. There's been a lot I've heard people argue about or question, why did he do that? I don't know. The text isn't set. We don't know. But he went there and stayed with them. Uh, and if you stay with an apostle, what's going to happen? You're going to be encouraged. And so he went there and stayed with him. He says there in verse 18 for 15 days. Verse 19, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So he only saw two people, right? Now coming, now concerning things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. So he talks about there in verse, through up to verse 19, about his conversion, how he didn't see anyone else for a while. Then he saw Peter, and then he saw uh, James, the Lord's brother, there in verse 19, then no one else. And I think it's pretty clear why did Paul remain keep that people, those who he talked to as apostles small for a while, because people didn't accept him right away. But that has changed now. They needed time to realize that he was not the same person. Verse 20, he says, Now concerning things which I write to you, indeed before God I do not lie. And what Paul is saying here is that he testifies before God and what he's saying is the truth, and he's not lying. You know, Paul, or Saul, could have died on the road to Damascus. I mean, that whole situation could have went a whole lot differently. Instead, God saying, you're going to be my chosen vessel. He, said, he could have said, you know what, you're going to be my prime example. <laughs> and just killed him on the road. But he didn't. Because when Paul says the grace of God was extended to me by his son being revealed, he means it. People died for going against, for hurting the faithful numerous times, especially in the Old Testament. It wasn't nothing for people to die and to be attacked and to be, to be eaten by worms and, and all kinds of interesting things, right? And so when Saul makes, makes it to that house and waits for Ananias, and the Bible says there, he waited, I believe it was three days without eating and drinking. I bet that felt like a whole lot longer than three days. I don't think Paul or Saul yet was clear about what was going to happen. But was grateful to be alive. Now, going back here to our text, verse 20, uh, he's, he's saying these things. He's, he, he says, you know, before God, he says, I do not lie. Verse 21, afterward I went into the regions of Syria and uh, Sicilia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ, meaning they didn't know who he was. They recognized him, perhaps, uh, but they were, but they were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the the faith, which he once tried to destroy. I Meaning they didn't know what he looked like. They heard a lot about him, basically, right? And what they heard a lot about him was he persecuted the church and he wanted to preach the truth. That's all they knew. Now, question: Would that be a tough crowd to talk to? That'd be a very tough crowd to talk to. But that's what he did. You know, Paul continues to show numerous times that he was not afraid, I won't say of conflict, but which he wasn't. But he also was not afraid to clear the air. You know, in chapter 1, he tries to clear the air, in chapter 2, he will, will as well, about his apostleship and about his former conduct. As he doesn't deny it. He doesn't say, that wasn't me. You know, he says, yeah. You know, you've heard about what I used to do. So they knew about him as well. Verse 24, what happens though? And they glorified God in me. What did they see in Paul that caused them to glorify God because of him? 
a drastic change. You know, when people obey the gospel, we see changes, or we should. But can you imagine a more stark change by an individual than the Apostle Paul? Now, there are others I know since throughout history have done all kinds of things and have obeyed the gospel and have had a gigantic change, to put it mildly. But for example today, if I saw Paul, knew who he, what he did in verse 23, they, as he, he says there, he firmly persecuted us, is now preaches of faith, which, we, which, which he once tried to destroy. They knew who he was, and they knew they could see who he was now. They knew the man in the past, but the man who was in front of them was entirely different. All right, any comments or questions this morning?